Welcome to Nota Bene, brought to you by Seesaw, the only app you need to get you to see the art you want to see. And Ben, it's a free app. You can download it in the App Store. It's amazing. I've been using it for years. I go on Seesaw, flag the galleries that I want to see, and it shows up in a custom-made map. What else does it do, Ben? Uh, I mean, that's basically it. You go online. Say, say you're traveling somewhere. Say you're just in New York. It shows you all the relevant galleries, what the shows are, when they're open until, meaning like when like the show's done. You click on the ones you actually care about and want to see, leave all the crap aside, and then it'll build you custom maps. You can walk around. You don't miss any shows. And then like gallery owners don't get mad at you because you didn't see the last four shows because now you're able to see it, all because of Seesaw, available for free in the App Store. Gallery owners are still going to get mad at me, but that's okay. They just get mags I don't buy. Nate, welcome back to Nota Bene, all my friends. I'm calling you here from beautiful Union Square. But Nate, my co-host, Nate Freeman, star reporter for Artnet, where are you at? Well, there's some separation anxiety then because I'm not actually looking at you from across the room in Union Square. I am looking down upon the glorious dogs of Condesa, Mexico City, where I'm currently on a balcony in the Condesa DF Hotel. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds kind of third world. You're, you're a little bit muddled. I hear a bird in the background, but that's okay. What's going on in Mexico City? You having fun? How hungover are you today? Uh, I'm not hungover at all. I was up at 8.30 for breakfast where I had about four stoppage chats because New York has already descended upon uh, Mexico City. Where was breakfast? And breakfast at, at the, the, the Condesa Via at, at my hotel. Ooh, look at you. Fancy. Yeah. That's a very nice hotel, although it can be a little bit an early morning spot because you have that open well, open corridor is it to the center, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and it was really lovely just to you know, start my day with some chilaquiles and the sighting of... Killing me, chilaquiles. I know, I know. Who'd you stop and chat with? Anyone I know? Uh, just, uh, I I don't think I can say I'm hot, actually. Just a you know, sign of a big like, family who's not a girlfriend. Ooh, juicy. Yeah, yeah. You're saving but that for your column, aren't you? Are you filing this week or are you taking the week off? Uh, I am not filing this week because I'm on vacation, technically. Though here I am doing work with you. Then, so this you is know. this is pleasure. Hey. When when this is you know this isn't work. This is this is just a hobby, a very yeah. expensive hobby. I mean, I am supposed to be with you in Mexico City. That was the that was the plan all along. I was booked. Uh, Saint Regis, great deal. The works, but then I realized, despite our burgeoning media empire. Um, I actually have a job that I work as an art advisor. Do you? I know huh. it, it surprises me too, and, and my clients, my, my clients have to remind. Yeah, my, my clients are surprised that I work as well. But uh, we uh, unfortunately have a, a number of high value pictures going up in an apartment in a major uh, Midwestern American city. And you know what, dude? Mm-hmm. I gotta be there. Had to cut it. Had, had to cut the trip. The FOMO meter is just starting to tick up. I'd say it's like a two or three, but it's gonna be redlining by tomorrow at seven p.m. I just know it. I don't want to rub it in, but it, don't rub it. I, I deserve it. I, I deserve it a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, a critical mass of people are arriving today and tomorrow. Uh, a former uh, guest on the podcast actually has arrived as of the last hour. Who's this? Oh, M- yeah, Mills there. Grant. Opening his galleries oh, we discussed Grant. last week. Yeah. I was like, Neinstein's coming? Um, anyway, <laughs> so you're in Mexico. I think we'll probably have a full scene report from Mexico. Uh, that'll be the focus of the pod next week. That, that's my guess, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm there's so much a, more to come. Yeah, the, the, the full rundown. Um, I know there's lunches at Contramar have already happened. There are more coming up. Um, it's kind of uh-huh. crushing me. But, you know, sometimes I got to be the actual 42-year-old married father of father of two, our advisor that I am. 
Do you um, want me to run down what we ordered in the six and a half hours we were at Contramar on Friday? I mean, I don't, but yes, I do. I think the listeners need to understand. So Contramar is a fantastic restaurant. Although Mexico City is landlocked, it specializes in coastal cuisine. So it's really a fish-focused restaurant. And in my experience, a lunch at Contramar, you see kind of all of the top of Mexico City kind of society and scene. And these lunches do ask what, uh, do last, excuse me, like five or six hours. What did you guys order? Uh, Hit me with we it. We ordered, uh, well, we got the octopus tostada. Obviously. We got the- the tuna tostada. Oh, one of the best dishes oh, yeah. in the world. Just some raw tuna, a little bit of fried onion crisp on tops, so like like high-end Funyun style, some avocado. I mean, uh, really t- top 20 dish in the world, no doubt. What else? Truly, truly. Uh, we got another order of the tuna tostadas. Duh. Um, and then uh, <laughs> we moved on to the fish tacos. Uh, and then we had the carnitas t- style tacos with their fish. It's al pastor fish. Uh, and then we had many orders of ceviche contramar. I think three orders of it. So healthy, yeah. very Atkins friendly. Yeah, uh, it's for all the chips that we're having inside. Uh, and we had a couple orders of stone crab, which was a special, uh, uh, just you know, newly. Uh, and I can report that they are not quite as good as Joe's. I mean, it's really end of the season stone crab too. Right, I'm not, I'm not sure where they're getting those crab. They're probably buying them from Joe's <laughs> and having them having yeah. them shipped. Um, I mean, tuna sauce is great. I mean, when you say you got the, the fish taco, you got the, the one that's the, the verde and the Rioja, like the red and green no. fish? No. Oh, we got that, but I haven't mentioned it yet. We got the... <laughs> I'm getting ahead of you. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, we got the pescado gonfroman, which is half the red sauce and half the green sauce. We got a couple of those. Um, and then we got some dessert and we got that coffee drink. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. But no, the name is it's very boozy, very creamy, yeah. very caffeinated. It's like a, it's like an eight ball. It's like a or like yeah. a, a speed ball. It's like a, a little bit of everything. Um, really incredible. Yeah, lots of and mezcal, was, I presume. And then the, what's what do they call the um the little um the the little kind of tomato juice they give on the side with the tequila? Sangrita. 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 We have um, a lot of that. Yeah, it's a great restaurant. You're making me oh. ever so sad and a little bit hungry. Although I have to say I don't I don't love the the al pastor the fish al pastor it's like they're trying al pastor tacos are a Mexico City classic they actually come from Arab traders who moved to Mexico in like the 1950s or a little bit earlier I don't know what to tell you it was one of the most delicious things I ate all day really it was okay incredible yeah I think I'm gonna have to make a June trip to Mexico City this is really the the FOMO's it's gonna just gonna get worse and worse thankfully you're not really on the gram so much so I don't have to relive it through your stories but. God, you have no idea what I'm not putting on the ground. <laughs> oh, I have some idea, Nate. I have some idea. <laughs> <laughs> the old man knows. Um, anyway, so I had to wimp out. So I guess we should get into the big news of the day, which I was so caught up in like art advising, I missed Mr. Jeff Koons. Jeff Koons. I believe the the is he still the most expensive living American artist? That he is, and he is joining the family Glimcher over at Pascal. So interesting going. He was being kind of co-represented since 2013 between Zwerner and Gagosian, but I considered him really a Gagosian artist as he's been in the stable since 2001, maybe something like that. Early turn of the millennia. Yeah. Uh, at, at least since the early 2000s, he's been showing with Larry. Um, and that's where some of his most prominent gallery shows the last few years have been. He did have a flirtation with Zwerner around the time of the, uh, retrospective at the Whitney and he had a dueling show there while Larry also had a show up but mostly it was Gagosian and um, 
Larry, the queen bitch that he is, had a real, real knockout quote. Well, let's, let's save it. Let's, let's save the money shot. Let's save the money shot. I don't <laughs> want to get there too quick. I want people to give them their. I want to give the people their money's worth first. Um, so uh, joining Pace Gallery Glimcher, I mean, interesting choice. Uh, obviously, uh, Mark Glimcher and Pace have been making a lot of moves recently um, in terms of adding artists, adding real estate, especially. Um, we'll get to some some Korea talk later. But uh, the big new headquarters, you know, new as of two years ago in New York. Not a great place for seeing art. Beautiful building from the outside. No, um, not a great place for seeing The Who either. <laughs> well, you know, better than any place I've seen them. Uh, the Who <laughs> opened, uh, played their opening of, of that gallery space. Um, and he's also involved in, not Blue Rider, that's like an art finance group, but Super Blue, which is like, Super an, Blue. An exper- yeah. like the, 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 the Museum of Ice Cream on steroids, basically, but funded, funded by a lot of Silicon Valley bigwigs, <laughs> including... Um, uh, Steve Jobs' widow, uh, whose name is escaping Lorraine me, Powell Lorraine Jobs. Powell Jobs, and others. So you know he's clearly making a play. I can only imagine what he promised uh, Mr. Coons, whose market is you know I don't want to say it's in the bins so to speak, but it's not exactly flying high. As uh, as a source uh, texted me earlier today, or a friend, not a source. Uh, well, I guess uh, in Larry's <laughs> per- sources too, yeah, in, in Larry's perspective, well, I guess someone else is going to lose fifty million dollars a year. Exactly. Uh, there was clearly a lot of red going on with Operation Coons. Uh, and he is not hitting the zeitgeist he was even just like you know, eight years ago. Um, you know, around the time of the retrospective, I think there was some, some movement in the market, right? And then it sort of eroded in the last yeah, eight years. I mean, he's always cycled in and out of fashion. I think I happen to think personally that, that Jeff is a great artist and a really important artist and someone who really actually captures the zeitgeist, even if, it, even if there's sort of a populist... Um, revulsion to it at this particular moment but market wise it's really hard to to sell these eight 12 million dollar sculptures that come like years after you buy them I mean, there's been numerous lawsuits about how long it takes him to actually realize them as he is a perfectionist um and you know his you know in jeff's telling at least i think his quote was in the times or somewhere else about why he was moving he thought oh well people you know i want to have one single home gallery where people know where to buy my art listen jeff booby I don't think the issue was that people that have five to fifteen million dollars <laughs> didn't know who to call to acquire work. They just didn't want to. But maybe, maybe the Glimpshire kind of and, and that stable of artists will open to a new market. I don't think so, but I hope and and would be happy to be proven wrong. And uh, and, and as you mentioned, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you deliver it. But Larry did have an interesting reaction when reached via text by uh, the New York Times. What was that reaction? <laughs> the quote was. It seems like a good fit. <laughs> it seems like a good fit. My goodness, that's, that's that I mean, that's icy. Go. I like that. That's he's still what he just had like a seventy-something birthday. That's killer. That's a killer line. Oh God, yeah, Larry's birthday. That was fun, right? Uh, I wasn't. You know what? I wasn't invited. I wasn't there. <laughs> so I mean, that's it on the Coons front. I mean, I always thought it was strange that he was. You know, he tried to branch out to Zwerner, and it was interesting that Larry was like okay with that um and when you know i'm not sure if he went along with it but you know kind of bit his lip and and managed if else if anything it was someone else to share the cost of producing these things um yeah but uh you know jeff is jeff i still do think he's a great artist and you know maybe this will provide for a third or fourth or fifth act in his career um we will see um moving along so that was the news of the day um also earlier this week the hour um, really yeah the hour i mean i didn't know about it you texted me about it you know i'm not I don't have my my ear to the pulse the way that you do, Nate. Even even in Mexico City, breaking news. Yeah, it's true. Um, what else? Well, I wanted to to speak briefly about the passing of the uh, great Norwegian collector Hans Rasmus Astrup. 
um, the founder of the yes. Astro Farmley Museum. I'm not sure if many people in America know who he is, but he's a fascinating, fascinating character, and he's not someone he's not someone that's easy to find out a lot about. I knew of him and met him very briefly once because he was still up until the end a very active buyer on the primary market but especially at, at the auction market. Um, he comes from a line, I mean, he has a family that goes back to like the year 700, and also it's considered like a quasi, um, uh, kind of quasi royalty, and is very close with the royal family of Norway. Um, in He's the richest man in Norway for a long time. For a long time. I think, you know, he wasn't part of the, the new kind of petro wealth that happened after the Second World War, um, but, um, but he comes from a long line of shipping, you know, they've been in shipping for the past few hundred years when that's become a big thing, trading yeah. and shipping. But and he, he really devoted his entire life to collecting for the end. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, you know, but it was active until I think about 20 years ago, which is when the museum opened. Um, and it's a, it's not a public museum, but it really is at this point. And in 2013 or so, he kind of took most of his fortune and put it into a foundation. He doesn't have any heirs, no kids. Um, he does have a niece that he's close with that's involved but no heirs or anything, put basically all of his wealth into a foundation. It's basically there just to keep the businesses going and using the funding from those businesses to support his museum. The museum opened about 20, 25 years ago, and it's a huge, beautiful building, um, and it's full of really preponderance uh, of American art. I mean, Renzo Piano design. Renzo Piano. I mean, it's a, have you seen the building? Have you ever been there? I've never been, no. I, uh, I, oh, never uh, it's it's insane be, building but... and insane, a very American-driven collection. But it's very important to a certain generation of younger American artists, like kids my age, um, people like... Uh, Nate Lohman, um, uh, Dan Colin, Dash, people, people of that kind of crowd, um, uh, Talba Auerbach, and, and did a couple of big shows uh, uh, about American, about American artists of, of that generation. And also, you know, is, you know yep. at, at the time, speaking of Jeff Koons, bought one of Jeff Koons, um, you know, bought um, Michael Jackson and Bubbles, the amazing ceramic, uh, ceramic uh, statue, uh, sculpture of Michael Jackson and Bubbles. Um, at auction for I think five million, which was at the time. Oh, yeah, for for not that much. Well, not that much, but at the time it was uh, it was the most money ever spent for a living artist, I believe, or it was certainly Jeff Koons's record at that time. Um, anyway, he died, and uh, I was you know did all this research and on and kind of on on him. It's interesting. He like never allowed photographs to be taken of him. There's only one or two. I did find one only in Norwegian interview that I will I translated it. Took a while, I'll send it to you. And the contact, the, the kind of the, the translation in Google Translate is not great, but it's like a four page interview and includes interviews with people like Nate Lohman, Jeff Koons. Uh, there's a great anecdote from Peter Brandt about losing out on that bubble statue at auction, uh, as well as with Tobias Meyer, who was the auctioneer for that sale. Wow. It's really got a ton of color, as well as with his, his, his longtime curator, the Icelandic uh, curator and director of, of the. Um, of the Astro Farnley Museum, um, Gunnar Karavan, and I'm butchering that. And some great, uh, some great uh, interviews with Sheena Wagstaff, who's the longtime curator of contemporary art at the Metropolitan right. Museum, and art, talking about how embarrassing when they did a big show of contemporary art about ten years ago, how embarrassing it was to be borrowing so much from one museum and a museum that wasn't in America, um, right. and just some killer art, <laughs> killer photos. Um, I'll try and uh, put a PDF. I'll, I'll try and break a bunch of copyright laws and put a PDF up on my Twitter or something so that people can read it. That'd be great. He was a very, very cool guy and just kind of like single-minded, like not about the parties. I mean, obviously extraordinarily wealthy, but, you know, wasn't about that life. was about really like what is the best art? What art can I find and buy that will live for 500 years and be important? And, uh, you know, 
I'm attracted it's to that. It's all too rare. If, if there's anyone out there that would like to have the same sort of collection, I can be called at 1-800. You know, I've always said, you know who's making money in the art game? It's not really artists. Uh, I mean, it is. It's not really galleries, although some of them are really rich. I mean, advisors, we do okay, like sucking up 10% on the, of the cream on the top. But, you know, not fabulous wealth. I've always thought it's the art shippers, man. It's the people that are yeah. fucking packing up pictures. Um, just this week, I had to get a picture that, of course, the gallery didn't tell. American artist, painting by an American artist, famous living uh, great American female photographer, uh, dealing with the gallery that's a multinational gallery, meaning they have spots, you know, uh-huh. in, you know, where, where in every area code, um, so to speak. The sun never <laughs> sets on the empire. Anyway, by this picture, huh, it doesn't okay. come out until basically after the invoice is issued and we've arranged payment for it. Oh, by the way, this picture is in Europe somewhere. So we then have to figure out how to get this massive, huge, it's like six feet tall picture to get to the United States by Greek Easter. Anyway, enough about my problems. It's a $10,000 issue wow. is what I'm telling you. And I'm thinking <laughs> that can't be what it really costs to get it on a plane in here. I mean, and so these shippers are making, making it seems like a logistics folks in general, shippers, stores. I mean, the storage bills are incredible, um, making tons of money. And uh, it seems like there's been some recent consolidation in that market. That's right. So we have, uh, we have a, a, the, the purchase... Um, of Martin Speed in London, which in my mind has always been like the, the art handlers and stores and shippers I use for my for my London-based clients. And they're being acquired by Crozier, which is an American-based art logistics company. No, because as they're both closely held companies, no money is discussed. Uh, but I think it's interesting. Clearly, they saw that there was some... Uh, I just want to know, can you tell our listeners exactly what will happen because of this merger? Uh, is it, will people think more money? Will it be easier? Will this make no, like in, like in everything else, anytime there's consolidation like this, when there's less players, it makes it harder because you can't get as yeah. many. In, you know, you want to get like four or five estimates and, you know, obviously choose the cheapest reputable person. In this case, there's one less person to get an estimate from, although I think they're going to be running them as separate entities, uh, at least in the beginning. But, you know, it's just, you know, and then uh, Uovo, such a weird name, which is a yeah. relatively new player, uh, is yeah, buying... Just- is, um, a few, I forget who owns it. Some sort of uh, not private equity, but venture capital type person opened it a it's few years ago. Guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, like me, did. They saw, oh, we're paying all this fucking money for our storage bills and our shipping. We should, we should get in on this. Anyway, so they're buying a small chain, Museo Vault, which is Miami, Palm Beach, kind of South Florida, obviously where you've reported. A lot of collectors are, are based and spending time these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're buying them up. And so, again, it's just, a, you know, anytime, you, anytime you're able to get a number of different operators under one flag, you're going to save some money and obviously produce more profits. Supermodel, and uh, I'm not sure if he's an art world regular, but an art world adjacent person, Emily Retrowski, the gorgeous, divine I, Emily Retrowski's was... NFT. Did you read up about this at all? I, I did, and, and I would say that she's an art world figure. She used to come to the auctions uh, quite frequently. I haven't seen her in a few years, but she... she oh, I know. Dude, do you know how hard it is to pay attention to phone bidding when she's in the room? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but uh, she, uh, you know, has really reclaimed her image in the last year. She is writing a book of essays, uh, one of which is run in uh, New York Magazine's The Cut, and actually ended up being the most read story on New York Magazine's website of the year. Did not know is, that. Uh, I, I know. I was talking to some media buddies about that. It was a true phenomenon. And so Emrata has become an avatar for not just a famous model, but a famous model taking back her image. Yeah, I mean, the article was um, and, really interesting about reclaiming her image from from art and from other things, and you know, something models have dealt with forever. But it was, it was extraordinarily well 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 written. I'm, I'm not surprised absolutely. it was so popular. 
and uh, and I think this is an extension of that. She is turning uh, this image, um, you know, uh, that that was used by the arts Richard Prince uh, in a, a work that showed at the Museum Gallery and sold to a collector that went unnamed in the story. Though I think we all have speculation as to who it was. Who is it, Nate? Tell us. Tell the people. It's not. It's not pot approved, bro. Uh, sorry, this is a state secret. Um, look, uh, no, actually, I was going to out the person, but um, I had a conversation with someone who said that if Emrata didn't want to name this person, it's not really my place to name it. So okay, I'll, I'll respect that. I'll respect that. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, just, just to back up to explain what she's doing, she's 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 taken an image of her in front of this piece that Richard... Oh, yeah, print, sorry, print, let me explain what it was. Yeah, yeah, so she's taken this image of herself in front of a... She, she, the, the, issue, the piece she had an issue with her that she called out for circulating her image was one of the Prince's Instagram series um, where he just takes people's Instagram, comments on it, prints it, and then sells it. A number of people had a problem with him, but it's part and parcel of his, of his practice going back 30 years is kind of this raping and pillaging of images. And in any case, so she's taken yep. it one step further, taking a composite image of herself standing in front of a piece of her that she does not actually own and is selling an NFT of it. Anyway, take it on, take it away from there. Well, uh, I, I mean, that's basically the story, right? It's, it's an NFT. It's hitting Chrissy's, uh, on May 14th. And I think it'll probably go for, you know, a, a ton of money. Uh, obviously, the the last few times that we've seen some sort of high-profile NFT uh, be released uh, in this way, it's kind of gone nuts. And you know, despite my complete aversion to this whole phenomenon, I think this is going to be one that you know has already sort of captured the you know the zeitgeist. The Times did a big story about it already, and it's just yeah, we'll 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 try and re- I'm sure I'm sure there'll be some reporting on what it goes for. I won't be tracking it, but I'll be interested to find out. She's kind of a badass. I like I like I like the project. Yeah, she's great. Hate NFTs, like the project. I'm not sure if the type of people that buy totally. NFTs will really get this in terms of understand why it's interesting and important, but I do. Uh, moving on, something else to comment. You know, so Europe's opening back up, as you alerted me to, mere weeks after I put down my deposit on my uh, on on my Hamptons uh, overpriced rental. So I will not be going to Europe. You're going to spend like. <laughs> You're gonna spend like not a mu- as much time tag her as you thought you would be. But one thing I'm sad to be missing um, that we definitely would be seeing in like two months is in Basel, one of the most beautiful and elegant museums in the world. Also, Renzo Piano Design, the Byler Foundation, uh, just outside downtown Basel. Is there an artist that you think of as one of the most unelegant and unbeautiful artists in the world? I mean, I wouldn't call him unelegant, one. unbeautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Who, who are you? I thinking? find him boring. I mean, I find oh, him, I find him sure. a, a little bit boring for my taste and a little bit preachy for my taste. In fact, this might be the the most the only interesting project by him that I've seen in a long time. And uh, obviously, we're talking about Olafur, yeah. or not obviously, but we're talking about Olafur Eliasson, who has flooded this. I mean, this is the most beautiful building overlooking on cow pastures and the most bucolic Swiss kind of setting and the most elegant elegant buildings usually filled with you know everything from monets and picassos to the most radical new art he's taking over the whole museum and literally flooded it with this lime green water and lily pads and has built these wooden walkways over this throughout the gallery spaces um and it's open the 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 space has been opened up to the outside elements in addition to what he's done um a really radical project and i would say it speaks pretty highly to sam keller's directorship of that institution to allow him to do this um it looks so cool. We're definitely not going to see it. I'm not sure if it's great art, but it's like a really interesting project. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I would see it if I were there. 
you know, I think you don't, you don't, you don't seem as in, you don't um, seem as enthused by it as I do. I'm not. My thing about the Byler, which is so spectacular, is the dynamic between this bucolic scene out the window and the incredibly world class artworks that are on the wall. Uh, and to sort of repurpose that, uh, you know, outside the, the exterior on the inside, it's just kind of lazy. You know, like it, it, it it's cool, sure, but like kind of an easy idea well I, I think didactic would be the word i would use right it's just a little bit obvious sure, didactic. um yeah. and, and it's maybe spectacle spectacle that purports to be about something or teach us something but like it's something we already knew so if you take that away it's just spectacle i would still be down to see it. i mean speaking of like long lunches like the one you just had at contramar i'm sure you're gonna have a couple more before you leave uh, mexico city i mean Absolutely. talk about a great place to have lunches and the restaurant there just next to the uh, that's on the the property of the Beitler Foundation. Um, but uh, sort of just next to me, but to sit out there, I mean, talk about table hopping and greeting people. I mean, that is like a stop and chat central for like the it's creme true. de la creme of the art world. Absolutely. And, you know, I just, I love the Byler so much that I'm sure I would even like this show, even though I'm not a huge fan of the artist. And I think that it's sort of gimmicky, but that museum it can do no wrong, essentially. I'm sure that, that Sam, who I truly admire, Sam Keller, has uh, done this in a way that's more tasteful than I could ever imagine. So, yeah, I would see it. I mean, what a cool story, Sam Keller, you know, going from the directorship and, and really made Art Basel. You know, he was the director during as, as art fairs became so important in the in the commercial art world. And then to move to that and like, what do you do next to take over, you know, one of the world's great collections? Um, you know, yeah. uh, Ernest Byler, who's who's the, the namesake, uh, was a great art dealer for a very long time um, and uh, and then set up this museum. And dealt a little bit out of the museum towards the end of his life, but that's for another podcast. That's Maybe that's a, that's another episode. Um, but I think it's really? fascinating. It actually, makes me makes me love it even more. Um, what else is going on in the world of gossip? Uh, well, that, I mean, that, that we can speak about. I mean, what what did I put in the column exactly? There's a ton of stuff going on. I mean, I think I mean something that's interesting, and especially coming off on the podcast last week uh, that we alluded to but couldn't really get into when we were chatting with Mills, is that the Felix Art Fair will be going forward in Los Angeles in July, um, uh-huh. and the Felix takes over this great uh, the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, and it's like a very cool old school hotel. There's a Hockney mural on the bottom of the pool, and they can't go up into the towers this year because of COVID and air circulation. But all around the cabana is kind of encircling this amazing pool will be galleries, including, I think, some some bigger names than they've exhibited in the past. That Felix came about kind of um, concurrently with the first freeze Los Angeles. And it's always been kind of people right. who either didn't want to engage in the, in the larger fair and wanted something a little bit different. But this year, because freeze has decided to wait, uh, hold off until the uh, early winter of 22, um, they'll kind of have the playing fields themselves. And it's allowed them to have some different types of galleries take part. Right. I think uh, it, it seems like New York is going to be pretty uh, activated next week during freeze. And I think this is Los Angeles's way of also uh, just declaring that it is uh, not going to be completely shut down for the rest of the year by uh, you know, the regulations. No, and they're going to have an, they're going to have the art week as well with all sorts of openings of the galleries. In July. I have to say, and I've been a bit... Um, suspicious in the right word, but reticent about the art fair taking place next year in New York freeze, partially just because I don't really dig art fairs in New York. I don't think we need it. I'm getting increasingly more excited. People from out of town have been reaching out to me, scheduling, you know, yeah. lunches and drinks meetings. And, um, you know, and as we've spoken about uh, ad nauseum, you know, New York's just feeling real, real good right now. And I think it's going to be a, exactly. I think it's gonna be a pretty fun, special week. 
Uh, I've I've gotten some really cool party invites, including people throwing parties that you know, I, know. I never would have thought would be throwing parties. I know. Um, I know. I, w- I heard about something going on Tuesday night. I can't say exactly what. The- I mean, when the person who's usually crashing the parties is throwing them, you know, the world's topsy-turvy. <laughs> that's all we're gonna say about that. up is down and down is up and i don't even know so anyway i'm very excited about our guest it's someone that we've been trying to get on for a couple of weeks you know just working out the scheduling because they're worked because uh, they are based out of asia um but your good friend and andrew russeth who's a really interesting art journalist used to work with you, my, you know, the, the observer back in the day is that right one one of one of my old friends and colleagues the genius critic and writer andrew russeth and someone who i'm honored to call a friend as well as a former colleague yeah, and, and he's uh, really smart. He's living in Korea right now in Seoul, and he's going to fill us in as a buzz that Freeze will be making an announcement about a fair there soon. We thought it'd be cool to check in with him about what it's like to live there, what's going on with the art scene, uh, the Samsung collection, which has become uh, a big deal after the patriarch's death there, and uh, obviously what he's eating and what all the fun snacks are in Seoul. So stay tuned. Mm. Just after this, Andrew Russeth. We're very excited, Nate and I, to be joined by Andrew Russeth, an art critic who's now based in Seoul. South Korea. Uh, he was the executive editor of Art News and editor of Surface and the New York Observer. Um, he won some sort of prize for visual arts journalism just a couple of years ago. And uh, beyond that, his stuff's appeared in like W, The Times, Architectural Digest. I missed that one. The New Yorker, online edition. Uh, and most recently, definitely in The Times, because uh, he wrote a great review of the Guangzhou Biennial that I'm sure we'll get into. Anyway, Andrew, what's happening, buddy? How's Korea? It's amazing. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm a longtime fan of the show, and uh, <laughs> exciting, exciting to be here and connect with you guys in in a bunch of different cities. Oh my gosh! Um, tell us. I mean, you know, I, I knew you in New York forever. How did you end up in Korea? I mean, I'm jealous, but I want to know the story. How do I end up there? Yeah. So uh, the short version is my wife is an editor at the Times and is on the international desk, and so we were destined for Hong Kong until mid last summer. And then with the national security law, with the kind of uh, instability there, uh, the Times decided to start an office in Seoul. And so uh, they sent us here. We landed in October, did the quarantine and have been here for about six months now. I mean, it's something Nate, Nate and I have spoken a lot about just in the fact it's so interesting that you, you know, we're destined for Hong Kong. He and I have been going to Hong Kong for a variety of different art reasons over the years. And at least I'm now considering if I'll ever really want to or have to go back there given the present thing and that's kind of why we wanted you on wow. so like, where do we, i mean i yeah. want i want to like, you know i have a great tailor there i miss him a lot uh as does my <laughs> as does as does my suit collection and i love the city and the restaurants but like and i know i know basel will still happen there but it feels like maybe the wrong site uh we don't need to get into that but the reason we wanted you on because we've been like where else would we go or where would there be a focus I'm like oh come to soul my soul is supposed to be dope to. i hear the I food there is with- incredible Oh my God. The food is amazing. The food is incredibly uh, affordable. I mean, there are for sure great tailors, although I've always wanted to go to Hong Kong and get the suit made. So I'm They're not even that great in Hong Kong, but the process is great. I mean, Hong Kong is just, I I think, a fascinating city. And the the result of colonialism, the way that it's kind of adapted over the last 500 years is fascinating to me. Um, uh, But anyway, but that's not what we're here about. Um, And we'll definitely, we're going to get deep into the food, not just as great. Like we're going to have details, but in a minute, but we want to talk about, you know, what's the art scene like there? Like, how did you find it? When when did you arrive? When did you guys move there? 
So we came late October, uh, and so it's just about six months now. So I'm still pretty new and feeling my way around. So you came like mid, at least in the Western world, that was mid-pandemic. I think it was kind of a different situation exactly. there. Exactly. I mean, we left just as cases were ticking up again in New York, and there was this sense of kind of the next wave. And we left right before there was certainty about the vaccine. So it was a strange moment to leave. And then we came here and... It's very, uh, you know, they've managed it really well. Uh, I think there's, as everyone has probably read, you know, they're incredibly cautious. And so you will never see anyone without a mask outside. Wow. And there are some restrictions. I mean, restaurants close early. I think there's definitely, mm -hmm. I've been told the culture here of, you know, dining until one, two in the morning, being at the clubs until five, six, seven in the morning later. That is definitely curtailed, but it was crazy. I mean, I popped out of quarantine and we went to a restaurant and it was jam packed with people. Everyone's mask wow. was off. And wow. you, you know, you take, uh, they have these apps that are um, social media apps that are really only in Korea and you pop up a QR code on it everywhere you go and you just kind of punch in. And then if there's a problem, the authorities would contact you. But uh, that has allowed them to pretty much keep things normal. But then it's so funny. I mean, you talk to folks here and they are, so concerned about like you know upticks in cases but it's it's a it's a country of 50 million and we average about 500 a day and uh -huh. so i feel so much safer here than yeah. at any point i mean the vaccine is a whole different story it's a long way off here um mm -hmm. but i feel so much safer here and yet at the same time people are like really cautious and a lot of people i know don't really want to go out so it's definitely uh -huh. the city's quieter but the art scene to get to the point is um it seems to still be thrumming. I mean, it doesn't, wow. there's never been a full shutdown. And I, my impression is the calendar slowed a little bit, maybe. The, um, it, a few events have been canceled here and there. Uh, the big art fair was canceled in September. Uh, Guangzhou Biennale, of course, got delayed. But really, mm -hmm. galleries have kept programming museums despite some shutdowns. You might have to book an appointment, but you can really come and go. And so it's been a fun thing to kind of dive in and um, are you like, yeah, there's a, yeah. Are you like, are you like making friends with, with kind of people that are in the Korean art world? Did you have contacts? Like how do you go about integrating yourself kind of in that world or do you? Totally. You? I mean, luckily I, we kind of, when we were coming here, my wife and I just emailed sort of everyone we knew with any connection and people are, have been so friendly. So I've met a lot of people that work at galleries. Um, everyone's super eager. I mean, it's, I, I definitely feel uh, a incredibly lucky to be here and be like a little bit of a novelty. I mean, like I'm one of the few uh, foreigners that's kind of landed here to settle down um, in the, in recent times because the pandemic. And so everyone's been super kind about meeting up. And um, I mean, I think, I mean, I know there's obviously an, an indigenous art scene of local galleries that are homegrown, but I mean, I think of, you know, yeah. going back to like, I think 2017 was in like Periton opened Lehman yes, Maupin, right. I think still has a gallery there. Um Yeah. Uh, what are the Western galleries there? Very Small Fires, which oh, uh, is owned by a yeah. Korean-American woman, yes. uh, 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 opened up a branch kind of in the pandemic, I think over the summer or, or in the spring, maybe? Yeah, I think I think right before, I think it's a year and a half old, two years old now, maybe. And it's funny, she occupies, Very Small Fires occupies an interesting segment in the market because, um, yeah, you have all of these giant uh, foreign galleries that came in. It was Periton, it was Lehman Maupin, Pace, Pace and now Pace yeah. is opening a bigger space uh, in just a they couple weeks They need it for all those here. Jeff Koons sculptures. 
Exactly. Whoa, I want to talk about that. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. What is I like? I woke up this morning and I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, um, it was back in the. It was, like, it was like waking up to a Donald T- Trump tweet, right? You're like, oh no! Right. Yeah, it was like whoa. Everything about that article is amazing. Oh my gosh! The, the, um, the kicker. This sounds like a good fit for him. I know. Yeah, yeah. Just typing out, typing out a little text yeah. message. Oh my god! Love a text message from Larry. Oh my gosh. But no, I, so yeah, pace is expanding here. Uh, I hope we get a Jeff Kuhn show. That'd be great. And then Koning just opened up. Um, mm-hmm. in, That's right. Uh, and so there's that, but yeah, very small fires is the only kind of like, uh, you know, younger, scrappier gallery to open up here. Um, and then like you have the local heavyweights, you have Hyundai and Kukche. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a gallery called one and J, which does like more emerging stuff that you would, um, you know, see at Basel there's PKM. Um, and then what was amazing to me to learn about is there is a giant uh, alternative space and kind of artist run scene. And that was something I was totally unfamiliar with. And a lot of them are in, you know, like New York artist studios are just little kind of ramshackle places, but there's a big uh, culture of government funding. So a lot of these artist run spaces will get a little bit of money to cover the rent from the Seoul city government um or even from various funds that are supported by the national government more of a, so the european that, kind of model a little bit exactly exactly and so it's so funny like you'll end up in like yeah these little like almost like basement spaces and then it'll say like sponsored by like the Seoul city government on the um on the uh, press release which and, is so yeah. interesting i don't want to get too far out, uh, uh, out in front of my uh, skis here because i'm not a specialist in this but me because a lot of the radicality in art especially in the post-war period the post-korean war period um yeah. when the the government situation in korea was quite different and and mm-hmm. highly autocratic so a lot of the radical art yeah. the density was like a reaction to government and against government funding and, and even the founding of the guanju biennial um and so it's interesting that it's been kind of I won't say co-opted, but it's been, it, it's now a 180. They now have state support for these kind of radical spaces. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And um, yeah, you really, you really feel that I've talked to dealers and artists who, even when they do shows abroad, if they're going to a fair in Taiwan, if they are going to have an exhibition in New York, they can get some money to travel uh, the work over to, you know, bring over supporters uh, if they're going to do a performance or something like that. So there really is a sense in the same way that, uh, probably not to the same degree, but the the way that the Korean government has funded like K-dramas uh, and even promoted like food abroad as a soft culture um, tool, they're doing that with art for sure. Well, and, that, so and I mean, and obviously the K-pop phenomenon, which today hit the business pages and that they've kind of branched out and are acquiring a lot of U.S. properties, uh, really? intellectual, intellectual properties. Did you see this? No, uh, oh, that's story. interesting. Yeah, no, the the whatever. I mean, I this is way, way, way outside of anything I actually know about. But I saw the the whoever the organizing group that owns uh, that not owns but kind of manages the biggest K-pop band name. I uh, can't remember their name. The boys. They're awesome. Oh, the BTS. The boys. BTS. Yeah, the, the, BTS they, they, they acquired a whole the catalog. The, yeah, they uh, acquired a whole catalog of music yesterday. Uh, it was in the FT wow. this morning, uh, US time. Anyway, so just you know, kind of seeing their culture. I feel like it's a big moment for Korean culture abroad. Obviously, mm-hmm. last night in America, Munari, the Minari. great Korean American film, Huge. Uh, Huge. and with that great you know uh, Korean uh, Korean actress who's like a national treasure there, becoming the first Korean woman to get an Oscar yeah. for for supporting actress. I'm blanking on her name, so I feel like there's like, and obviously you know the food scene in America. So I feel like there's a lot of crossover and it makes sense that there's a lot of you know high culture meaning visual art crossover over there yeah so- it feels it feels like 
the art scene is robust and growing. And so, the, you know, the big rumor has been that Freeze is coming, that they're right. in some sort of I think of talks. you broke that story, Andrew, uh, I believe. Well, I broke it only insofar as it had been written about in the local press. And um, it had just never... Thank God for so, Google I mean, Translate. Up, yeah, exactly. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I showed up here and started meeting with people and they're like, oh, you know, like Freeze is in talks. And I was like, what? I, they're like, oh yeah, like, no, for sure. And it was, and then I, yeah, had to kind of like go through Google and you're like, okay, it's been written about. So yeah, I, there is a sense that there are collectors here that are super serious. I mean, there's a big history of also the corporate collecting here where a right. lot of the really the wealthy Samsung families, collection. exactly, that are... The wealthy families that are tied in with the corporation that the conglomerate. The Chai Balls, if I think that's the pronunciation. The Chai Balls, exactly, yes. Mm. They have uh, opened museums and continue to open museums at this incredible rate and wow. um, buy art. And it's like, I've had so many experiences where I'm like, oh, okay, I've seen that at like Miami Basel two years ago and here it is. <laughs> like, you know, like wow. Sterling Ruby things. Uh, that's the crazy Kobe person Ferris that paintings. bought that, yeah. Yeah, um, you're like, oh, who knows? <laughs> Who, this is who's buying like this giant, like, wow. like gargantuan sterling ruby or all. Wow. Yeah. I see it on your Instagram sometimes, Andrew. Like you're going to a museum that I've never heard of and I have to go back and go to the location and look up exactly who this collector is. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. Crazy. I mean, I've read these stats where the number of art museums here in the past 10 years has doubled, I think, from like 100 something to 200 something. I mean, it's what, like what are some of the coolest mall... ones you've seen? Can you think oh, of any? Oh, man. Um, I would say just like in terms of like sheer spectacle, in terms of like that's what luxury. we want here. We're into spectacle yeah. here and luxury. Yeah. So bring it on. I mean, yeah. So like, I mean, there's this there's this beauty brand called Amore Pacific, which opened a which I'd never heard of before. Um, they opened a David Chipperfield headquarters, I think, three or four years ago, and they have in the basement this luxurious museum, and that's where I've seen like the giant sterling ruby and. They also collect Korean uh, contemporary art. So there's a lot of like Lee Bull and um, just like, you're like, whoa, okay. This is like, they're just buying like the big fat works, like giant contemporary art pieces. Um, what else? I mean, there's, there are, there actually are great government museums. Um, the, the talk is like, they, they don't have a ton of money for acquisitions, like government museums everywhere, but they've opened two new branches uh, in the past eight years, nine years. Um, and from what you can tell, I mean, obviously you're, you're an outsider, but is there, like, is this something that everyday people or the type of people, you know, are, are aware of and are going to these museums or is it more just for the elite or for Westerners visiting kind of what's the, what's the purpose or who's in there? I mean, for sure. Like the, like, like you'd see in the U S or Europe, like there's the rich, there's the rich people flexing and you have this like almost like, clear competition in terms of building these museums. Um, there's there's like a giant, like there's like a mining company here that's putting up a giant Herzog and Demurin museum to run, uh, to kind of house their, their art space. But what it is, is it's really like young people, which I suppose is also true of Europe and, uh, and America. I mean, we, I was talking to Nate about this. Um, like there's a giant mall here and in the Lotte Mall and uh, it's one of the big conglomerates, retail conglomerate up above this mall is the tallest uh, tower in Korea. And they have this pretty sizable museum. And of course, like what is there? There's like the touring Basquiat show of, um, you know, private collection works. And we went and it was jammed pack. And I'm, I would say the average age was probably 18, 19 um, really like soaking it in. I mean, snapping the Instagrams, but like reading every label and like doing the audio guides. 
and you just see it everywhere. I mean, another new mall just opened uh, called the Hyundai Mall, which is like this. I mean, they, the, the Koreans do retail in a way that is just like so beautiful. These like luxe. I, I love, love going I'm to the malls. Yeah. yeah, I love it. And so and so even this new mall that opened has an exhibition space and there's a giant Warhol show and that seems to be packed. And yeah, you get the impression that it's contemporary art has become just baked into kind of like every cultural experience now for for young people. Um, so they're talking about free as it seems like uh, from your reporting to others in fall of 22, I think, like September time is I think what's been said. Is that right? That's been the talk. And and the reason for that, I guess, is that the uh, the Korea Galleries Association, which is kind of like the ADA of uh, of Korea, they a little bit like New York. I mean, they have slots on the big convention center. And so it sounds like there could be some sort of collaboration uh, with Freeze. So I, it's unclear if it would be like a section of a fair or some sort of standalone thing. Listen, I want so. it because I want an excuse to go there. Hope I can convince a client to go. And even if they don't, like, I mean, I, I yeah, really, really want to go. Through. Really want to go. Um, and uh, just so you know, Nate's dropped off the Wi-Fi in Mexico City, but he'll, uh, he'll, oh, ju- no. he'll, ju- yeah, I mean, to be explained, I mean, he's also got, God bless Nate. I arranged for a USB microphone and special headphones for him that he just didn't have time to grab. So he's, uh, he's oh, at a no. disadvantage, but we'll, I'm sure he'll jump back on, but, uh, but we'll, 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 we'll hustle through. Cause I think, uh, I think you and I have an, have enough to talk about it. one, one of the reasons outside of the fair, which I really want to go to, and when we're going to get to the yeah. food and the nightlife that isn't there yet, but we can at least give me the, good, the outline good. sketch um yeah. is this uh is the samsung family and lee kun hee who passed yeah. away fairly recently uh and they've been left with yeah. a sizable tax bill i don't have my notes from it, but it was like it's like 19 billion dollars or something like that 15 billion dollars yeah, it's 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 unfathomable unfathomable it's, uh, uh and as you know this is true in the west as well as oftentimes you have to sell things in order to raise the capital to pay the inheritance taxes on things like companies and 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 other you know, and other assets that aren't necessarily as liquid and art they're not super liquid is something people often sell it's one of the it's one of the reasons auctions exist so i wanted to think about this in two ways so first first there's internal Korean stuff we can get to about there might be some changes that they can donate some of this in lieu of a tax bill, which I think is interesting. But secondly, I mean, this guy, they have amazing art. I mean, they have water lilies to coons to like even more, even more youthful things. I mean, and what the, the, the flood or the influx of all this artwork on the secondary market through auctions would mean. Um, so what, what do you know about this? I mean, I've just read like in the FT and like Western press, do you have any, like any, any yeah, color? I, I mean, that was, that was a good summation of it. And it's very possible that by the time people listen to this, there might be news on that front. I mean, basically really? when, That's soon. yeah, I mean, when, when Econi passed away at the end of October, essentially, you have a six month window. I'll try not to get too into the weeds, but you got a six month window to pay the estate tax. So I think it's by the end of April, they essentially have to make the plan wow. and <laughs> um, start paying. And you can, you can, you can do very yeah, things. Start. You can start. Yeah. It's, it's the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can divide up the payments over five years. And so you can, you can just imagine for like a tax consultant or for lawyers. I mean, this is like the most, in, you know, incredible jigsaw puzzle. Sounds because- like billable hours to me. <laughs> it's like yes exactly i mean so uh you know he had he had children and they have various uh holdings of samsung stock of course the family wants to and a, and a wife who survived and they don't him. want to dilute that stock because otherwise they might have to sell some of their of, of the samsung exactly. stock to dilute their control over a family exactly. started and run business and so and and at the same time south korea has one of the highest uh estate taxes in the world it can be 50 to 60 percent depending on various things and so so that's the overarching question and then you you figure okay 
it sounds like they have to pay maybe 10, 11 billion dollars. And they've got this art collection, which could be worth one and a half, two, three billion dollars. No one really knows. I mean, there's been reporting about some of the works in the collection. And they have private museums here that are run by the Samsung uh, nonprofit wing. And so some of that work has shown up in those museums. Like there's a great de Kooning, a great Rothko, Giacometti. I mean, a lot of works that you would think would be high uh, eight figure, maybe even nine figure works. And so the question is like, can you float loans against these or can you, so they were trying to get a law passed that they could actually donate the work and have that go toward the taxes. It seems like that has not been able to get done. It won't be done in time. It'd be, it'd be a contentious issue anyway. Well, again, like to get way over my skis from what I, in my, in my slight bit of research, it seems like uh, Korea is dealing with a slight bit of populism the same, we, the same way we have in the US in, over the past exactly. five years or so. So the notion exactly. of giving these very rich families that have more wealth than most average Korean could ever imagine uh, having aren't really that enthused about giving them any sort of breaks. Exactly. And so it sounds like where you read between the lines and stuff has been kind of whispered out to the press, probably intentionally leaked from Samsung, but I don't know that. But you see things come out. It seems like the strategy is probably going to be to actually donate a lot of the works and that'll get it off the balance sheet, I guess, if you can get it out of the estate. I see. So they, have, they won't have to pay taxes on those things, but they exactly. won't get to write down that against what they own. Exactly. So in a sense, it's like you're almost getting like a 50% break on this by doing the donation. And then the, the complicated thing with that is, of course, that would be great press for Samsung. But at the same time, uh, Lee Kun-hee's son uh, who is essentially the, the the leader of Samsung is currently in jail for ah, uh, right. was sent back to jail for uh, various bribery issues having to do with his succession. And so they don't want it to make it look like, I mean, there's a great culture of uh, pardoning and commutations in Korea where CEOs, Ikun, he had, had been sentenced to prison and got uh, commuted, I think at least once. Uh, and so there's this sense of like, they don't want the donation to look like they're trying to curry well, they favor. They bought, bought his freedom. Exactly. So uh -huh. it's, like, it's an incredibly complicated. And so you see all of these quotes in the press from uh, kind of like unnamed uh, Samsung officials saying like, well, you know, Koreans, the Korean people made Samsung great. And so it'll be important for us to give back. And, uh, you know, we don't know exactly. So, but uh, apparently this PR truly is the international language, isn't it? <laughs> it, really, it really is. It really is. Well, that's a great line uh, of bullshit. I mean, I, I support them doing it. I mean, one thing that, and this is definitely a PR line from them that showed up in one of the local kind of uh, Korean, Korean news in English was that they notion that the entire art purchasing budget for the MMCA, one of the national museums, is something like $4.3 million, which is not enough to buy even a single Yakometi, uh, comparing right. to exactly. several Yakometis yeah. that could potentially exactly. end up. <laughs> And, and what was interesting to me is um, coming here, I mean, the, the MMCA, the National Museum, which has four branches around Korea, uh, they, have a, they have a pretty robust collection of, of Korean contemporary art, Korean modern art, but there is really no Western art in it. And so the Samsung family through their private museums, mostly the Liam, which is in Seoul, uh, that's been really the only place to see kind of like masterpieces of Western art. And so that is the kind of... Uh, the extra incentive. I mean, not only did did the Samsungs collect like great traditional art, uh, ancient Korean art, but but it's uh, as you said, yeah, the Monets uh, and that contemporary stuff that you, if if it were not to get donated, there would not be a place to see it. And so the the hope is that right. it ends up in uh, no. In and I I think space. I mean, 
I mean, I was just interested in one way also because of all that. But then just, as I said before, notion of like, it's been hard to get things at auction or big money stuff for secondary market deals. The supply, especially during a pandemic, no one who's, especially yeah. with, the, with all the federal uh, federal reserves and, and uh, uh, you know, making the money machine go burr, people are not inclined to sell <laughs> masterworks right now. Um, yeah. But if 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 this came to pass, uh, that could have happened. So I was kind of, kind of interested in that just from a liquidity standpoint of would there have been appetite in the market to absorb these things um, but it looks like that's yeah. probably not gonna probably not gonna be tested at this time yeah but we'll see we'll i see. It's, yeah, yeah until it's until it's a done announced deal i i have no clue we'll be looking yeah. to you for the english language updates um i'll be tweeting the, are, with the are story you, are, you t- are you taking korean lessons exactly. or have you taken korean lessons what's i've taken yeah the times uh i mean in terms of the relocation services they're really nice i mean so so my wife lorette has been taking classes and they even have the spouses uh are able to join for some of that. And so I, I've picked, picked up the very basics. I mean, I could, I could say hello and have a good day and order some food, but, uh, I'm a long way off from like writing an article. Yeah, as long as you can uh, order a beer and buy a pack of cigarettes, I mean, you can generally get around in a coffee. Exactly, that's all I you can, need in any I, country. I found <laughs> exactly. I can, yeah, I can through many years beer. of research. Yeah. <laughs> Though I don't that's smoke, the most but important yeah. stuff. Uh, and, yeah. a, and a sausage in Basel. Um, because you did travel to Guangzhou to, to see their biennial, mm-hmm. which as you said was delayed and has been kind of shortened. But uh, you, yeah. I, uh, you wrote a big review that was in the New York Times. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the print edition, but I think it was the front page of the arts section, maybe yeah. on that day. Yeah, nice art you know bravo on you what was that like i mean can you tell the people that might not know him it's a very important uh the, the most important asian biennial of art i would say do you know a bit about the history it is the most Asian biennial. yeah i mean and the history of it's fascinating it is not super old it was started in 95 and guangzhou has this incredible history where in 1980 it was the site of a democratic uprising uh and really an armed rebellion where you had just this incredibly violent crackdown by the ruling dictatorship. And it was sort of the, the kind of birthplace of the democratic movement that would then sweep away the dictatorship by the end of the 80s. And in 95, they start a, a Biennale a little bit as, uh, they call it a living memorial almost. So a kind of way where a lot of the art often engages with um, activist work, with protests, with the history of investigating into uh, the uprising. I mean, it's still the the 1980 uprising is still something that gets debated and contested. The U.S.'s involvement in it is a is a real source of contention. And um, yeah, and, and so it's an, in its opening us year, involve I, ourselves in an anti leftist movement. I can't imagine. It's truly it's truly hard to believe that we might have been involved. Yeah, in a crackdown. <laughs> um, in '95, the opening year, there so uh, 1.6 million people went to this Biennale. Um, and so just incredible numbers and, wow. um, yeah. And so, and, uh, and how many people now, go to the Whitney biennial? It's in the hundreds of like thousands, 150,000, maybe. Max. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think Venice, yeah. Venice gets up there, you know, 600, 700, something like that. But Venice of course runs for like six, seven months. Guangzhou, yeah, I think usually point. runs for three or four. Um, but this, but, uh, yeah, it's always been a highly regarded Biennale and, um, it's still really paid attention to. And it's something that the city's really proud of. I mean, so when you go down there uh, and you say like, oh, I'm going to the Biennale Hall, like they, everyone knows what it is. And they've built a, you know, just incredible infrastructure for it. They have a big exhibition hall. And yeah, this year's, this year's is also great. Uh, It's a really wide variety and it includes um everyone from like a vaginal davis to korean painters like wow. Min Jun one of my and, early mentors in los angeles 
Really? True story. Her and Ron Athey, cool. mommy and daddy. Yeah, I was very happy to see ah. she was being embraced by the more uh, mainstream art world. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, she has an incredible piece where, like, she uh, she's had this like loaf of bread that kind of looks like the Virgin Mary baked, <laughs> and it looks it talks about her uh, exhibition history in Los Angeles, the space she ran. Um, but yeah, there's the kind of traditional Korean Minjung painters, uh, the kind of protest populist painters from the '80s in there. Uh, Lynn Hirschman Leeson is in there. Korakrit is in there and has this great video that is, it's kind of like standalone satellite thing over near this mountain where there's wow. a history of uh, shamans and Christian practices and burial grounds. I mean, it's, it's really like a super layered, uh, amazing show. And it's super sad because they, they were ultra cautious. Uh, and so they delayed it and it's only running for, I think, another uh, a week and a half. It closes. Yeah, because out. I, I mean, I know in the past, like uh, American museum groups will make a trip out there. They'll do like a patron uh, trip to Asia, and oh, that will yeah. be a focus of it. And you know, I think it was really much more uh, insular this year. But it was cool that they still made sure that it actually happened. And uh, what you know, just to kind of segue into the, into the real reason we called you. What are the regional specialties, cuisine wise, in Guangzhou? Oh my god! What were you gosh. eating over there? Oh my gosh. So I, I have to admit, I, uh, the regional specialties I'm still pretty green about. I know that my understanding is, I mean, Guangzhou's in the south, and my understanding is that this, that area is even more renowned, I guess, for the banchan, the side dishes. And so, and so uh, just in general. Yes. And so, but, it's, but there it's like especially profuse. Um, I went out and had great, uh, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. Almost like kind of like a semi-dried fish where the, the fish was sort of dried out, but then grilled. Uh, so like super flavorful. Uh, yeah, I mean, the culture here of, they, they call it the mat chip, the, um, the, the tasty house is what it's called. And so there are all of these kind of like humble restaurants and everyone can recommend um, the, the places to go. Uh, and there, there are Instagram accounts that will, like, uh, give me that word once. Them. Give me that word once more. I want to memorize this word. Yeah, uh, I'm, I, 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 I hope I'm not saying it wrong. It's, I think mat chip. Um, chip is house, and mat is, and so tasty house. And the idea is a lot of these places are hole in the wall, or they're kind of nondescript. A lot of them look the same, um, and you know nothing on the walls, but just like word passes around that this place has like the tastiest uh, brisket barbecue, or it has. Like this is the place to go for. You're speaking. You're speaking my love whatever. language. Brisket barbecue. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. What's oh What's the most God. memorable meat? Have you had like a, a? I know it's like pandemic time, so a little bit compromised. You've had a most memorable meal thus far. Oh man, we went down to uh, Jeju Island, which is just south of of the peninsula, and uh, they are famous for it's called black pork, a particular type of pork they do there, uh, and we and 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 you can get it in seoul as well i mean it's but it started in jeju um kind of these like just beautiful thick cut super juicy uh delicious pork and they serve it with um i'm a big anchovy fan and they have this uh usually like little metal bowl filled with anchovies and garlic and that sits on the wow. grill or to the side of the grill and basically just congeals like all meal long and then you can dip the pork in this anchovy sauce and oh that is just God. unreal highly recommend that um and then i mean there's a lot of uh, a lot of neighborhoods have uh kind of their own uh specialty and so there'll be like one one street that's all like jock ball a kind of like pig preparate pork preparation 
Uh, there's one street here that's all, I'm not going to know the name. I'm not going to say the name correctly, but it's like a steak tartare. And so you get just like the, like you walk in the restaurant and they just like have heaping piles of red, juicy, raw beef. And you can eat that as like bibimbap mixed in with vegetables. Matthew, so good. Matthew, Amanda, get it together. Get freeze there. I need to eat this. I need to be there for that. Now, through, I, I've always thought through. of you as, as, as very much a, through the socials, very much a, a sweets guy, a desserts guy. Yeah. Is, is that true? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> any favorite, favorite discoveries in the, on the peninsula thus far in, oh, that, man. in that region? These are, these are fun questions. These, these um, are the hard hitting questions our listeners are here for. So I got to ask. Yeah, them. I appreciate you indulging me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the one, yeah. So, I mean, whew, there, I mean, there is such a culture of sweets. It's incredible. I mean, there is a Paris baguette on every corner and <laughs> there are a, a, then a million other chains that I had not heard of in the U S and they all have just like delicious brownies, breads, cakes. Uh, so it's more like rather than any specific thing, it's just like the sheer unadulterated, like, uh, profusion omnipresence of it. Yeah. And then I, I do want to shout out as we're talking about food, uh, I have to I'd like the person who really helped me was the artist uh, Priscilla Zhang, who just graduated from Columbia's MFA program, yep. amazing artist. She is from Korea and she and a friend have uh, this like giant list they sent me of uh, it's an Excel sheet that I, was put together by people in Korea. And it has like 700 not an, not an exaggeration, like 700 restaurants on this thing. Doing the and Lord's so, work, man. The Lord's oh work. Oh my Lord. And so, and so that has been for, for food and also for sweets, uh, a, a total mind blowing experience. Cause I never really had the traditional Korean. I mean, a lot of the like glutinous rice uh, sweets where, you know, they'll just kind of beat the hell out of rice, turn it into a kind of like gummy experience, but then put, uh, like a bean powder on it or a matcha green tea powder on it. And like that stuff, I've yeah, really grown to love. Well, hopefully we'll be able to get there pretty soon. Hopefully the nightclub's open, like kind of 4 or 5 a.m. Yeah. That sounds like a, a fun thing. I mean, you know, I know we're yeah. all a little bit older, but, you know, you're only going to be on. there once. You guys you guys are having yeah. such a cool experience. It's so cool that you uh, you guys got to go and do this. I mean, I'm sure your wife is working her working her. Uh, She's working life. like crazy. Yeah. 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 I, so I you have to go have explore to... all the food and, you know, do the art stuff and, you know. Yeah, and do you but go, God do, bless her. Do you guys cook at home? Like, what's the supermarket situation like there? We do, yeah. I mean, the uh, the supermarket situation is really nice. There are, you know, there are big, there are like kind of Dean and DeLuca equivalents, and there is a Dean and DeLuca here, but it's a kind of like zombie Dean and well, DeLuca. It might be the last remaining one in the world, because I yes. think a Korean business actually bought the Dean and DeLuca brand globally before they shut down right exactly yeah and so and so in one of the in it's a it's in this giant beautiful department store uh called shinsige and in the basement they have this beautiful food court and there's a kind of zombie dina deluca where the fonts are the same and you can buy the tote bags and stuff but none of the food is the same um it anyway, sounds like a photo like, essay that needs to happen <laughs> <laughs> i was just like whoa i really because i love dina deluca in new york so much and so there are there are markets that are like that. And then there are great, like in our neighborhood, just um, super chill markets where you can get fresh produce. But it's interesting. We cook at home. We like it. Uh, overall, though, going out it is oftentimes so cheap that um, 
you can come out ahead. And, and how can and you not? Have... Like, who knows how long you're going to yeah. get to be there? You might as well like try and eat it in all all 700 of those restaurants on that Excel spreadsheet. If yeah, you, if try, at all possible. To, try to plow through it. Try to plow through it. We're looking forward it. to you guiding us. I think, uh, I, you know, I think uh, I'm going to let you go get on with your morning. Uh, you know, I should get a gym tan laundry, no doubt. Exactly. And we're going to have to, you know, if there is an announcement about freeze, we'll probably have to check back in for an emergency quick uh, quick pod with you to, that sounds to good. fill you in on the yeah. local local news. I think you'll probably catch it first over there. So you maybe you can break, yeah, it, yeah. break it for the times or something. All right. It was so good to see your face, Andrew, and to hear your stories. Likewise. And we'll talk to you soon. And that's it for Nota Benny. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much. <laughs>